Hey everybody, welcome back to GoodLifeBabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans, episode 13. The lucky 13. Honored to be the 13th birthday of 13th birthday. All right, folks, we're back. It's a goodlifebabe.com. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. With us today, we have David Cunion, who is the music curator for the, am I saying that right? Yes. The music curator for the New Orleans Jazz Museum. And for, Louisiana State Museum. And Louisiana State Museum. And longtime WWOZ DJ, who uh, at, the, at this moment has the Tuesday night uh, kitchen sink show. Yep. Yeah. 10 to midnight, right? 10 to midnight, Tuesday nights. Excellent. And uh, Dave's going to join us today, and we're going to talk uh, about a variety of different things, including uh, what lights his fire and uh, what he does over there at the New Orleans Jazz Museum, where, what direction they're headed in, and, uh, and a little bit more in general about uh, the culture of New Orleans music and where it stands right now and uh, where it might be going in the future. <laughs> Straight down the tubes. <laughs> All right, folks. Great show. Uh, check us out. No. <laughs> it's been lovely. Thank you very much. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> so let's. Why don't we start with the present? Uh, with your with your current gig. The current gig, and um, and and I can say this the way I like to say it. That, that since I do, you know, we do have a, a fine Miller High Life in our hands. And since I'm drinking, this is what I tell people when I'm drinking, what my new job is, is that I'm the motherfucking jazz curator for the fucking state of Louisiana where fucking jazz was born. And cheers to that. Written by right. Samuel L. Jackson, everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cheers to cheers. that. Cheers. So that's kind of a uh, life's dream, I would guess, right? It, yeah, it it is. I mean, I hadn't really thought about what a life's dream might be, but when the opportunity came up, when the job came up, I kind of went, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm you know, well-suited for this. It's sort right. of a uniquely qualified, and, and you, I'm, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm well-suited, uniquely qualified, and, you know, maybe the best qualified, you know, one of the best qualified people in the state to do this job. Sure. So Legitimately. I mean, uh, taking it back, and I don't know, why didn't you move here? Moved here in 19, Labor Day, nineteen ninety-two. Ninety-two, I probably met you at say ninety-six or something like that. Yeah, when I was working at the CAC, yeah. ninety-six, ninety-seven, something. Bartend, like bartending in the CAC, running around doing hearing music. And yeah, that. and you were coming to our shows. Yeah, not a lot of people were. Yeah, but you always. <laughs> That's true. I was always. Like, we got all this great funding to do cool yeah. jazz shows. And like I was there for an, everyone. You were there for everyone. Yeah. I was like, thank God. The, the amount you of good here. jazz I saw at the CAC back in the day. Because we had like an NEA, uh, Southern yeah. NEA grant. And, 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 and you know, for those shows, one of the, I did, I told everybody this, like, you have to show up, if you like jazz, you have to show up for these. Because if you show up and you go see like that crazy Ahmad Jamal show, remember that show? Yes. The Ahmad Jamal with Idris and uh, That was James Robert, uh, Rob Cambry. Yeah. Put that one on. That, that one, and... You, you had to do that because if you go see that, you know, and Ahmad Jamal plays a good show, gets a good crowd, makes some money. He goes back to, I assume, New York City. He goes out, you know, to some, you know, joint to see somebody and he runs into, say, McCoy Tyner. You know, yo, Ahmad, what you been doing? McCoy, how you been? Well, I, you know, well, I, you know, Ahmad says, I was just in New Orleans, man. I had a great time. I got paid. The crowd was great. It's New Orleans. McCoy says, hey, wait. How'd you, how'd you book that gig? And then McCoy comes down. Exactly. Same thing happens. And McCoy goes back, tells Joe Lovano. Joe Lovano comes down. 
And soon we, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. I don't know if it happened that way. It sort of did. I mean, when but we, when people we, started hearing that you know there was some modern jazz being played in New Orleans. We could go play it, you know, because it. it we were able to. We were able to get like twenty thousand bucks from a grant maker because the reputation also had to extend to those folks. Like yeah. the artists had to go back and report that they had a good time. Yeah. To the grant makers, right? And, 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 and anybody, we would even get. And anybody who comes down, no matter what kind of jazz you're playing, right? Whether you are playing Bourbon Street Parade or you know you're playing Art Ensemble of Chicago stuff. You come down to New Orleans, you play better. There is something all jazz musicians, all musicians in general, I think, in some ways, but certainly all jazz musicians, get from being here. You feel it that this is the, the spot where it all started. And they all go out and they... Right, and it's a great place the, to party and have a good time. Food's great. And if they go out to the second line, they're like... They go out to the oh, second line, they're like, wait, people still do this? Exactly. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I can't believe I'm spacing this right now, but I think everything, you, that process you were talking about... Uh, culminated in us getting um, God Miles, Miles Davis's bass player helped me out. Um, Ron Carter, white guy, for a while. I know Ron Carter. Uh, shoot, Miles had a white bass Jones was one for a while. Shoot, it'll come to me. Dave Holland. Oh my God! Yeah, the Dave Holland show. So we did a Dave Holland big band, and that's where like the grant money would come in. Like what you to your point, yeah. you get the good reputation. Suddenly, some grant makers throwing twenty grand for you to next. Yeah. Yet the problem is, the only people in the house are like fifteen of my friends and David Cunion. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah. Why are people a small enthusiast? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and now, it, when these things happen, you know, now that the change is that you bring that down, now the place is packed. Right. You know, you go to the Weem Center stuff that they're doing, packed. So that is changing. Yeah, it is it changing. Changed. There is much, and, and and part of that is because you started doing this. You know, and other people started put. You know, uh, um, Spyboard Productions. Why am I blanking on him? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mario. 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 You, yeah. you did this. Mario did this. Right. Ambry's been doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it it you build an audience in that way, and next thing you know, I remember seeing, you know, who was it? Like Fred Anderson, Kid Jordan, Hamid Drake, William Parker, killer band. Okay, but not the most accessible music. And the Blue Nile. There's 250 people there. Yeah. I'm going. Where did these people come, they come from? from? And they're digging it and liking you it. You almost want to do like an exit poll. Yeah. Like, where, <laughs> where, where did, how did you figure <laughs> out about that? Like, and I remember saying to Mario and to Cambry, like, how'd this happen? I said, well, we happen to have built an audience. Right. When you put it in the right context, that stuff is not that inaccessible. Yeah. So, anyway. Okay, so fast forward. Yeah. We, we, we just went back 20 years. Now, uh, I mean, what's, what, what's your uh, thoughts on the scene, the jazz scene in New Orleans now? I guess both from a touring perspective, um, folks coming to town, and also locally, homegrown. Uh, I think locally, the jazz scene, um, in terms of the music that is being made, uh, is as good as it has ever been. Yeah. Um, it, it, I mean, it, it never really, you know, it's always been good. You know, it never, it never has kind of declined, um, but I see it being excellent. Um, is that young players coming out of NOCA? Or, um, young or, players coming out of NOCA, young players coming out of UNO. Uh, folks who are moving to town, and whether it's you know, you know, the trad is it, you know, you could have arguments with people about how traditional New Orleans it is versus how you know whether it's kind of a bastardized swing thing, but that's you know for geeks. Um, but the modern stuff and the out stuff, excellent. Yeah. You know, and people can come here um, and play with people, and the folks who are here from Aurora to Helen to Freilich to Cambry to Singleton 
Tvidakovic, you know, all those guys are still out and playing, and it, it amazes me when I go out and hear it. That's killer. You know? what, so you feel like you can be a jazz musician, and I mean, I always I was telling Jeff beforehand, like thinking about like Louis Armstrong, Went Marcellus, our best, even when you look at Christian Scott, yeah. you know, who went to Columbia and stayed, kind of stayed away or whatever. Mm -hmm. Christian Scott's one of my favorite yeah, he's his, uh, jazz musicians. Young guy, how do you, how viable do you think it is for a young um, jazz musician? To I think well, I think artistically, here? it's you can prosper. Economically, I I'm not so sure. Um, I think that the changes that we're going through, that everyone is dealing with in New Orleans, in terms of, you know, the price of everything is going up. Right. Um, and yet, everybody's wages and what you're getting paid on any level for any kind of work, have have not. And never whole. were good in the first place. Yeah, they were never good in the first place, but you could... It, so, I mean, it, it's stagnant. It's stagnant. And yeah. for, for, for artists, I think. It, it's, and, and I think for a lot of other, other places, too, because back, back, you know, when I came here and you came here, and, you know, you've been here, but um, you could, you know, you could live... I lived in a, you know, falling down a crooked shotgun shack with holes in the floors for $250 a month. Exactly. And you had a lot years. of space. Yeah, I had a lot of space. I had a, I had a side yard on that. You know, I remember, you know, Alex McMurray and Jonathan Freilich living on Barrick Street and they were paying like 133 each for, you know, half a house. Right. Kind of thing. Um, those days are over. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's gone. And, and so if you want to be an artist and pursue it, you know, it, it's harder to find that even though Compared to then, you're making more money as an artist, but still not enough to, you know, make it. But on the flip side, in terms of the economics here, is there is actually an economy. Because back then, if, well, two friends of mine, both female, both in, you know, one mid-30s, one early 40s, um, both left real jobs, you know, half-decent jobs because they didn't like them, and immediately found other jobs. When we were coming up, you couldn't do that, especially if you're a woman. You right. could not leave whatever good job with insurance you had unless you wanted to work service industry or be an artist and find another one because they just simply weren't there. Okay. Now, because we have a, you know, somewhat of an economy. And, you know, what do you think has changed? The technology? What uh, are, the what technology has changed. Um, there, there are tech jobs, there are tech jobs in, in New Orleans. And tech jobs are, are moving, you know, are incubating other jobs. Um, there are you know, tourism jobs that are simply not service industry. Uh, and the, you know there are other aspects of the economy that are, are coming up, I, um, I, whether they're coming up for art. You know that's the flip side of, you know whether artists can survive and I, whether musicians can survive. I think on a on a on a bigger level, uh, there's been some studies about this that the re uh, colonization of cities, if you will, yeah. coming back from uh, suburban life is something that has been happening very clearly across cities all over the country. So there's a portion of it that is that. But Katrina certainly changed the idea of how people looked at New Orleans as uh, fundamentally a place to visit, but maybe not to live. Right. And and now, as you know, within two years after Katrina, that changed dramatically. And and there's something intrepid about the younger generation that doesn't seem to care about things that were you know always on the lips of people who are maybe our age or a little bit older. Um, about like oh there's so much crime there you know like I mean it was just you had to you, the people who came to New Orleans in in the 90s and a little bit before that and all the way up to the aughts uh, were 
adventurers, I would say, yeah. in, a cer- in a certain sense, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's kind of different now. People, people just come because it's hip to live in New Could Orleans. Be, well, it's also, as I say, people now can come here and, and entrepreneurs can come here and they come here because they think they can make money here. And that is a fundamentally different idea than when I moved here, where you moved here because you liked the lifestyle, the lifestyle suited you. You wanted to hear music all the time, you liked parades, you liked Mardi Gras, you liked the fact you could drink on the streets 24 hours. Yeah, you have free street culture. Free street culture. Um, and that, Affordable you know, living. Horrible, you know, not necessarily horrible, but, but risky living. Sure. Um, it would, you know, and in some ways it's still risky, but not as risky. Not you know. like in 1994. Uh, uh, right. 1994 when there were 600 murders? No. Right, where the count was on the daily paper yeah. on the front page. Right. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Where, and yes, and it was 1994 random was, and everywhere. It was, it was rare. I mean, most of it was you know, young black drug dealers shooting other young black drug dealers, but occasionally some of us got caught in the crossfire of these young black sure. drug dealers kind of thing. Yep. Um, so it's, it's, it's different. You know, we moved here, I moved here because I like the lifestyle. People now are moving here because they can open a restaurant or they can start a tech thing. And it's, it's just a different way of looking yeah. at the city. Yeah. If, if the, the cultural you know, norms and the things that we like about it aren't necessarily the same kind of concern for folks yeah. who are moving now as they were for us moving then. But Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, we need to get some young folks on the show that have just moved here. So far, everyone we've had on the show. Yeah, no, like, no, be, I'd be interested to see, you know, like new, you know, mm-hmm. you know, new people opening restaurants or businesses sure. or whatever. Exactly. Know. They're out there, you know, and, yeah. and I, I'm not denigrating them at all. I'm glad, you glad know, we all here. can integrate. Yeah. You know, and, and New Orleans is changing, but the inherentness of New Orleans isn't going anywhere. Oh, absolutely not. You know, and, and if you look at it historically, that about every 40 years or so in this town, there are massive population shifts. Okay. There was Katrina. Before Katrina, there was school integration and white flight. Before that, right. and, and that lasted a while. And then before that, there was the massive black migration out of the South that affected New Orleans. Before that, there was the big Im- there was immigrants coming in from you know, Eastern Europe and, and Sicily and, and Ireland. Before that, about 40 years before, was you know, right after Reconstruction when all of the you know, blacks who were living on plantations and sharecropping all moved in. Before that, there was this, you know, the Civil War, which had massive population displacement. You know, before that, there was the you know, American showing up. Before yeah. that, there, you know, there was you know, the Haitian Revolution, where you know, the population of the town, I always get these statistics wrong, but right after the Haitian Revolution, the population of the town like, du- you know, either went up by half or doubled within the space of about six months when everyone fled Haiti. And the people who didn't, who didn't come to here to Haiti went to Cuba, and then eight years later they got kicked out of Cuba when Spain had a war with France, and they all came here. So yeah, th- there's historical. Not that it isn't serious. We need to think about it, but there's lots of historical precedent. So how do you think it would be characterized? What we're going, what's happening now with population shift, like 40 years from now? You, we, it, I think we still have to see. Yeah, yeah, because it's happening. Yeah, because we're it's in the middle done. of it happening. Right. And to get back to like you know the what I'm doing for my job and, and, and jazz curator. If you had told me in 1992 that somehow I would be in this position where I am the one who is explaining the cultural norms of New Orleans and the cultural practices and what the music is like, I would have laughed in your face so hard I would have fallen off the bar stool of snakes. <laughs> if, you had said, if you had said, hey Dave, you're going to be the guy explaining what New Orleans jazz is to people. I'm like, ah! 
<laughs> right. Yeah, I would have fallen off, you know, but That's somehow pretty, these things have happened. That is pretty wild, yeah. man. Hey, open up your other beer, man. We'll have another <laughs> beer you. for you. So w- what do you do in, uh, for your job? Like, what, what's the... Uh, yeah, let's get back to that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the job is, is basically kind of three things. Uh, the main one is that um, I am in the process of slowly putting together the New Orleans Jazz Museum. It's going to open up in the end, you know, probably fall, we're looking at fall of 2018. Where is it going to be? It's going to be, to be in located. the second floor of the uh, old U.S. Mint mm-hmm. on Esplanade and Decatur. Uh, it's going to be on the entire second floor, maybe more. Um, there's 8,000 square feet of space. It's going to be 8,000 square feet. And there's also going to be another gallery that's a changing gallery that I'm going to get to program. Uh, and She'll have a permanent exhibits. collection. So there will be a permanent thing, and then there will be a changing exhibit gallery, too. Wow. Uh, and the museum, it's going to have, uh, basically, as of this moment, nine sections. You know, Roots of Jazz, Early Jazz, Jazz Comes of Age, Armstrong, Jazz Revivals, Jazz Around the World, uh, Modern Jazz, Brass Bands and Marching Bands, and up till today, The Living Traditions. So we'll go through the entire history of, of music, of jazz in New Orleans, from you know the opera and field hollers and marching music and you know instruments left over through the Civil War, up through Buddy Bolden, King Oliver, Freddie Keppard, um, our, an entire section on Armstrong because you know you need an entire section on Armstrong, uh, the jazz revivals of trad jazz in the 1940s and 50s up through the 60s. Uh, the way that jazz has gone around the world so that there's, you know, great trad bands in Sweden and Japan and stuff and how we went there, you know, New Orleans went there and how they came back and how, you know, folks from there have come here. Uh, and then there'll be stuff on, you know, uh, modern jazz, everyone from, you know, AFO and Harold Batiste, Al Boletto up through uh, Astral Project and, uh, and then, you know, got up brass bands in there. Of course. Uh, and then after brass band, you know, then like what's going on today, everyone from Jonathan Batiste to Troy Andrews to Christian Scott, as I said, Helen Gillet, Aurora Neeland. Yeah. You know, all the all the folks who are working it today. So, so are you just completely like out of your mind with giddiness? And or does like the day job grind? I mean, is it It's a little bit of it's it's a bit of both. I, yeah. I am I, I get giddy over the fact, as I say, that since you know, I am, you know, the main person, not all up to me, but it's mainly up to me of like who goes in and who goes out. You know, if I want Kid Jordan and Jonathan Freilich in the New Orleans Jazz Museum, they go in the New Orleans Jazz Museum. And I don't have to necessarily justify that. I mean, they justify themselves. Um, But again, the daily grind of of trying to find the artifacts that we need, because there's also, the other part, another part of my job is maintaining the collection. Um, we have three floors uh, in the corner in the mint of you know thousands of photographs, instruments, uh-huh. sheet music, all of that, uh-huh. and maintaining that and trying to you know enhance that and and get more things for it because uh, the the collection focuses mainly on older jazz and trad jazz and stuff. There is some modern stuff in it, but not a whole lot. So my job, is, as I perceive it, is to get the modern stuff for jazz done and also for the collection getting. Other form, you know, other types of music in there, rhythm and blues, Cajun, because it is a state museum. So sure. the music of the state, you know, getting Cajun, Zydeco, uh, rhythm and blues, country, 
that stuff in there too. So the frustrating thing is occasionally calling, you know, is having to leave messages for a sousaphone player who will remain nameless who promised me a sousaphone. And he's a great guy, so I don't, you know, it's, he's brass band guy, of course. These, these yeah. things happen that way. But, you know, every week I'm leaving a message for this, you know, and texting this unnamed sousaphone player, like, you know, you still want to give the sousaphone up? Never hear from him. So, the, the, I mean, sure. but you know what? I've been doing that for years and years anyway. anyway. Sure. So, you know, the, I remember the days when I was doing the, uh, the putting together the James Booker documentary. I left a message for Ricky Castrillo. Remember Ricky Castrillo? Of course, yeah. I left a message for Ricky Castrillo once a week for six months. Six months, you never called me. I always thought wow. this about Dave Cunion. I always thought this dude hustles, man. Like, well, one of the reasons I, oh, I wanted to talk to you about that, you've got this sweet gig that you're talking about, but in the 20 years that I knew you, you're a music writer, and it doesn't pay well in this town. Right? I Not mean, at all. And you're hustling. Well, right? And for, I want to get to those documentaries well, yeah, for, that you produced for, and how you got funding for those documentaries. Well, let me just, let me just finish with the, the other parts yeah, of the job please. besides putting the Jazz Museum together. Um, I also, you know, am, am writing articles and lectures, doing lectures and stuff. I just wrote uh, for the Louisiana Cultural Vistas, the LEH magazine, um, an article on Idris Muhammad. You yeah. Know, just to, just we, had, we want to feature some... We always... Every, every Cultural Vistas has a has a um, state museum article featuring, highlighting some of the artifacts in it. And we have Idris's, uh, we have a tom and his, and a bass drum and a couple other things of his. So I'm like, you know, and I want to feature the modern stuff. So I wrote this, you know, I'm doing nice. stuff like that. Yeah. Next week I'm doing a lecture on Sidney Bechet, featuring, you know, we have a soprano sax and a bunch of photos and 78s that I'm going to pull out. Um, and so, so what, there, do you do the lectures at the Mint? Uh, yeah, that, yeah. Those are, that one I'm doing at the Mint. Uh, and then, you know, the other part, like I say, is trying to enhance the collection, trying to call up, you know, nameless sousaphone players and bag them for their sousaphone and, right. and calling other folks and get, letting them know about it and, uh, you know, whomever it may be and going, you know, whenever, you know, you decide that, you know, you don't want your instrument or you don't want to give it to your kids or whatever, we will gladly take it off your hands. <laughs> we will nice. come and get it. So... Um, so yeah, that's so that's the museum. Um, there is a little bit of like it, it, it's a state job, so there are, I'm you know negotiating those rules can be a little difficult for me given the fact that I'm 47 years old and this is my first real job ever. Sure, you know the, right. Yeah, you know, but um, but I, I dig it. You know, even even whatever might be the slightest bit of a grind, you know, is is relieved when I you know open up a box and there's. Yeah. Here, okay. Here's a good one. You know, I open up a box, and there's a a reel-to-reel -reel tape that has a piece of tape on it with these four words on it: Mahalia Jackson Funeral Riverwalk. Jesus and I'm looking God. at this, going, "What?" And and I got Danny Kadar, who's the production head at the you know at the Mint, to digitize this for me. And you know, it's not a particularly good recording, but there is Mahalia Jackson's funeral. Wow, you know, that kind of yeah, I'm like, holy wow. shit! Yeah, you know, things like that sure. are coming up all the are all the time. So. And where do you get the all, all these materials from? I mean, are they just donated by parties, or um, are they a lot in of existing them, archives? Um, lots of people have donated. The major portion of the collection comes from the New Orleans Jazz Club, uh -huh. uh, who in 1978 donated their entire thousands and thousands collection that was part of the New Orleans Jazz Museum when it was on Dumaine Street and Conti Street and. In the Royal Sonesta, but you know they don't. You know 
pictures and you know photographs of everybody, um, including all sorts of like local, you know, trad players that no one's really. I mean, I've heard of. You may have heard of, but no one. You know, Tony Parenti, Tony Almerico, mm-hmm. Raymond Burke. These folks. You know, if you're here and you might have gone to see them, you know, playing at on Bourbon Street at some point, but they never got much further than that. So lots of photos of that, and then stuff like. Uh, you know, Duke Dejon's saxophone, Big Spiderbeck's cornet, Johnny St. Sears banjo, all of this stuff, you yeah. know, we have, and it's my job to make sure it's okay. Yeah. You know, Louis Armstrong's, like, first cornet we have. Wow. Um, you know, Stalebred Lacombe's banjo. Stalebred Lacombe was a trad guy who died in the 50s, but the best, maybe the best nickname for a trad jazz guy I know of. Yeah. Stalebred. Yeah. I don't know how he got this name. I need to find it out. But. Do you have someone on your staff, or did you learn this when you got your post, your musicology degree? Yeah. Uh, in terms of archiving and like, uh, what, what's the we, name of the we, process um, for just keeping, uh, making sure I'm treating it right, kind of thing. Thank you. Um, I know a little bit of that. We have someone on staff who is an archivist, you know, yeah. who is very helpful with that because. I, I mean, I know the, the history and the musicology aspects. I, I'm getting better at the museum aspects of it. Mm. You know, remembering that you have to put on gloves right. to touch almost everything. Sure. Kind of thing. You know, the best ways to kind of store these things and you know, and file them so that everyone can figure out where they are, especially me. The temperature, the humidity. So, the, the temperature, the humidity, all, all of that. Yeah. You know, it's not just me, even though we are relatively understaffed, but there are folks on there who are very helpful yeah, yeah. like letting me know that can't put that like you know you can't store that like that's going to be stored standing up in acid free folders and those kind of things sure so so you must have a range also of techno working technological devices that can play back some of these materials that you get in terms of music right we do um and, like you mentioned reel to reel um we do uh, we have reel to reel tape players um we have a couple 78 players, not that I can, once, thing, once things become artifacts, I can't play them anymore, you, mm-hmm. know, you know, but we do have 78 players, we have reel-to-reel tape players, we have cassette players, we have record players um, that are all in various states of repair, but I think I got one working one for everything. I don't know about the 78 player, I haven't tried to play the 78 player recently. Have you gotten any like home movies or eight millimeters? There, the, yeah, millimeter there's a lot. There's that? also um, there's also film, um, a lot of which, some of which has been digitized of, you know, old ja- of like slow drag Pavago's jazz funeral, George Lewis's jazz funeral, and we've even got some um, some I want to say it's some of the only footage, but I it may not be of the Jean Goldkett band from the 1920s that actually has Big Spider back. Wow, you know, walking through. I don't think he's playing it's ah. silent, but you know, we have lots of you know stuff like that. Wow. So, cool. Yeah, you guys, you know, if you guys ever want to come by, you know, I'll take, you, I'll give you the tour. It's really sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, that sounds like fun. Yeah. You know, some, and and most of it's there. Some of it, some of my favorite, actually, some of my favorite pieces are out in um, in the Capitol Museum in Baton Rouge, and um, where we have a music exhibit, but stuff. We have like Clifton Chenier's Crown. Yeah, that's really one of my favorite pieces. That, really? Yeah, yeah. We have Clifton's Crown. Wow. Yeah, that's like. Clifton and if crown. people want to donate, if people are listening to this and want to contribute, um, uh, the email is dkunian d k u n i a n at c r t dot l a dot gov. Sweet. Yeah. And then the. Uh, the and it's nolajazzmuseum.org? 
We'll say it's nolajazzmuseum.org. Yeah. Yeah. So they can go there as well, and yeah, I think there's that, a donate button on there. There's a donate button for money, and yeah. and you know if you have artifacts or photos or stuff, you know, call me. Yeah. Email me. So uh, maybe we should shift gears here just a little bit, and I, I kind of wanted to talk to you about a couple of different things. One, uh, what's going on at OZ? What happened with uh, OZ? Are, can you talk freely about that? Uh, can oh. we just set it up real quick that, that Dave Cunin's been, been, been on since. I've been on OZ DJ since May of 1992, um, which is now, it, it's amazing that I'm now one of the people who's been on the longest, which is hard to believe. Um, so 24 years um, on the air. All right. As, <laughs> it's hard. I, 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 what I can say, and, and I, I try, I would like to keep, you know, things common about this, is that what I kind of think happened is that the general manager of WWOZ, who had been there a little bit longer than I have, um, some in, in nonprofits and in radio stations specifically, there's something that I think they call it founder's disease, where the people who founded it or the people who brought it to a certain level, they have trouble letting go. Um, sure. And right. that... And be, and because the general manager had trouble letting go and had trouble kind of, you know, had troubles, um, it kind of stagnated for a while. And the stagnation from the top um, kind of trickled down to the rest of the staff where if you're not, things aren't going right, why are you, you know, what's your motivation sure. as a person? Right. I don't hold it necessarily against most of the folks who are there, um, but what's your motivation to get it going any better when it's not going to, in your perception, it's not going to get any better? Um, so I think that's kind of what happened. And sometimes I think that OZ in recent years has moved away from concentrating on what makes OZ OZ, which is what you hear when you turn on the radio. And sometimes the bells and whistles of the internet and videos and websites and that kind of thing um, they're sexier sometimes than turning on the radio. But turning on the radio is what everyone is the asset. I mean, so is he. Yeah. That, that's the important thing. And when you start concentrating more on the website or concentrating more on, uh, you know, getting, appealing to folks who don't, you know, because you need money to run the thing, or feeling, appealing to folks outside of New Orleans to get that money, what does that do to your on-air sound? Uh, I, I think the focus became less about what was inherently OZ and what you know was appealing to and, and what might allegedly appeal to the folks out of OZ. Um, for instance, at least on my show, you know, I, I think and I, well, <laughs> on my show, um, I know we're on the internet. I don't ever mention it. Okay. So. I, and I do that deliberately. I know people are listening on the internet. Totally. But lots of other, you know, occasionally I will say if you're listening on your internet machines kind of thing. Sure. Um, but I don't Was ever, there pressure to do that? No, there's to, no pressure whatsoever okay. to do it. I don't because I am more concerned about, you know, the people that I run into every day and what they think of the thing, of the radio. I say 90.7 FM. I rarely do www.wwz.org. It's a lot of Ws. It's a lot, it's a lot of Ws, though you do get to say the word orgy. If you say it right, uh, which of course you know I like doing, uh, but um, I'm I'm much more concerned with how my how this whatever I'm putting out over the air 
um, is appealing to you guys, is appealing to the little old lady on North Robertson Street, appealing to whoever might be listening uptown kind of thing. I, I you know, I don't, if you're outside the Seven Parish area, I'm glad you're listening, but really, I don't give a fuck. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, and, and huh. some people would say that it's short-sighted of me, but what has made OZ what it is is people like me doing it for New Orleanians and everyone else just happens to be, hey, why? I'm listening, I'm eavesdropping in. Kind of no, thing. I think that that's the right attitude because if you did eventually do it for people outside of that area and that became the general thrust of the concern of that entity, then it becomes about them and not it, it, about it what it... It much more generic and less of whatever we perceive New Orleans to be. Yep. You queuing up some music there? Sorry. Oh, so that's that's right. a plan? Yeah, that, that played. That's right, folks. We don't have a producer at uh, It's a Good Life. We do not have a producer. <laughs> well, well, look, let me, let me say something real quick because uh, and we're going to get right back to this, but I gotta, gotta, if I don't throw the segue in, because when I moved to Portland in 2001, mm-hmm. I split time from uh, in Portland and New Orleans for 2001 till the hurricane, till Katrina, and then I was full-time Portland. Um, but Is that statute of limitations up yet? Which the Katrina thing? No, 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 no. Why you moved? That statute of limitations. You can't get arrested for that anymore, right? I don't think I can. Okay, good. I don't think I can get. I mean, I, I just I, assume I, everything. Everyone assume that everything with Katrina, I, lots of stuff got lost. I assume so. that everyone thinks poorly of me because I actually moved before Katrina. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but I would listen to your show then on Wednesday nights. Right. Right. And, it was, and, it was, and it was Wednesdays midnight to three, and Tuesdays. 10 to 12. I had just gotten turned on to, first of all, I got to close out whatever the hell else is playing on here. Um, let me do that real quick. But uh, let me just close this tab. Sorry, folks, we don't have a producer on uh, it's goodlifebabe.com. This is um, raw podcasting. This is raw y'all. podcasting. Okay, I think I took care of it. Um, I would listen to your show on Wednesdays, and I, I think I probably called you three different times over the course oh, yeah. of a year. I just call in. I maybe had a couple of drinks, and would be like, "Hey, that's what, that's what it sounds the best." Really. In between, song, you know, like when you were playing a song, and I'd be like, "Dude, I think I asked you the same question three times, which I was drinking right. all those times." Which was the question was, "Is that that band, that brass band from that band under, uh, from that movie, Underground, that Yugoslavian movie?" And you'd be like, "No, it's Michael Ray." I'm like, that's right. I'm like, but dude, there's this movie from 1995 that's like this absurdist Yugoslavian World War II film that has this brass band that just comes and goes throughout the movie, and it's like a pratfall kind of like absurd. It's like if a clown car got stuck in a in a bomb shelter. That's like with a brass band. That's like what this movie is. And I would just, I would just, and it just like had it was. I had just seen the movie when I moved. And uh, I'm going to play a little bit of this for you. Um, but gosh, Dave can't hear it, can he? Uh, I can give him the cans here. Folks, we don't quick, have quick. a producer. Yeah. Give him the cans. Yeah, quick. Yeah. I'm only one set of headphones. How's the, how's the volume level? It's, it's coming. That's it. I'm watching the movie. That's great. And so you would play this Michael Ray tune. I'd be like, oh, 
that sounds just like it that. It does sound a lot like What yeah. Michael Ray song was that? Do you remember? Uh, it was one Watusi. you played a lot. Watusa. Watusa is the 60s dance. Watusa. And I would hear you play that because you'd play it quite often. It was my, it was my theme song. For a while. And it just made me so, like, a, the perfect balance of homesick and feeling like I'm at home. You know? <laughs> and that's what Ozzy Good. does. Yeah. When you're far away listening to it over the internet. And uh, so I, I just asked, where's uh, Michael Ray these days? Uh, actually, it was just in town. Uh, I didn't see him, but uh, his, um, you know, I think his main gig these days is Cool in the Gang. You knew that, right? I knew that he played, he played with Cool in the Gang when, when back you, in the day. And, and I, I, did I he play with Earth, Wind, and Fire also? No, cool, or just, just Cool in the Gang? The, um, when you hear... So when I saw Cool in the Gang open up for Van Halen... A few years back, that Michael that, Ray was with. Michael, him. I'm assuming you know that's Michael God Ray. Damn but it! I wish I would have known. When you hear, um, I, I I think this is true. I got to ask Mike when I see him next. But you know, Jungle Boogie, doodly doodly, blah blah. Right. I think that's Michael Ray. What? What? I think that's Michael Ray doing wow. that. I yeah, don't think time, he's. Uh, next time you listen to Pulp Fiction, folks. Yeah, next time you Michael hear Ray. that Jungle Boogie, that's Mike. I think that's Mike Ray. Um, and I think he's still running around with the orchestra, um, every so often. Uh, but he was just here at Gretna Fest because Cool and the Gang headlined right. Gretna Fest. So, and he was here. So I didn't see him or, you know, I, yeah, I boycott Gretna just, you know, because... On principle? On principle. Yeah. Now the, I have nothing against the, the people these days in Gretna, but, and I probably should get over it. But after the storm and what, you know. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. Joel, Joel and I almost got arrested at the Gretna Fest one time. We sure did. Yeah. Really, two years fuck, ago, it was really it was. close to getting. We were really close to getting arrested in Gretna. They were so I, I, mad. Which everyone gets arrested in Gretna, apparently. Yeah, no, it, we I, were I, bicycling I would expect, and they ran our licenses, and we were biking. I, you know, Je, don't Jeffrey, was this when uh, when Harry Lee was running the place? Well, Gretna's its own city. Well, it is its know, own so city, it, right. so, but does it have its own? It does have its. It own does. Police it has its own police force and yeah, everything. They're they're one of those cities, you know, kind of like uh, Ferguson. <laughs> Where they're under the spotlight and being you know, monitored. There was a video that came out, and they're like, "This is the most incarcerated city in America, Gretna," because it's all about making money. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, it, it, right. it's part another one of those where you know they, they won't increase taxes. So what are they going to do? You know, make chicken shit hit, tickets. Yeah, chicken shit tickets. Yeah, so suddenly, all over the place. So suddenly you have a million dollars of fees because right. you know you didn't stop in the crosswalk on a bicycle. They yeah. looked at us like. They but were also, you at us can't like, pay the fees. And when you can't pay the fees, they issue a bench warrant, and then you go to jail, and you can't and, pay the money to get that, out of jail, and, that's, and, and then they get free labor. Right, and that's why... And they you get know, free labor. Right. They get free labor, and that's why if you get now... Well, you know, we happen to be Caucasian, so this wouldn't necessarily happen to us, but now if you get pulled over and you got a bench warrant, you know, and you're going to run, and that's when, you know, exactly. African-Americans right. get shot, because they don't right. want to go back to jail for, right. you know. We had our boy yeah. Randy Perez, a filmmaker, on, and, uh, on the podcast recently, and he talked about... He produces a reality show where he f- rides with the cops, and he was incredulous at like I don't understand why why they run and why they don't have IDs. Well, th- just what you just said. That's why they run, and they don't have IDs because you don't want to fucking go into the DMV. Well, because yeah. here's the thing about yeah. being poor in America is that everyone has something on them because somebody couldn't pay a fine. Yeah. So there's some kind of bench warrant. So people just give up on getting driver's licenses so that they can say I'm nobody or make up a name yeah. and you can't run the identification of the person and maybe they the police just give up it's a resistance tactic exactly you know and it probably works it's probably yeah. effective a lot of times sure you know 
So I, that, that's what I think is going on with that. Yeah. I, w- I want to ask you one other question, too. It just yes. kind of popped into my head, and it's not a rhetorical question because I don't know the did, answer did, to Before it, I forget, did we finish the OZ thing? Ba- did, basi- did, ba- basically, oh, the oh, general yeah, manager. Basically, the general manager, I think he had been there too long, and you know, it, I wanted, if he had left right after Katrina, because he did do a great job in bringing back the station, sure. we would have given him a parade. But when you stay a little too long and... You, you know, you're not yeah. progressing the station in a way. Sure. Um, you know, then you go out like that. Well, so. you gotta. You, you gotta. Weigel you gotta. Everybody. I mean, yeah. look. What? CDC, however, 25, 23 yeah. years at a at the same job is a yeah. long time well, for yeah. somebody to to do that. And you know, uh, you gotta you gotta churn the waters. You gotta keep it fresh at some point. Yeah. You know, so like. I mean, 23 years, that's an extraordinary amount of time in today's day and age, you know. I'd say, like, I mean, they've got this 12 years. DJ is on probably Tuesday on nights has been on there for 24 years, bro. Yeah, yeah, I know. yeah that's true. Right. You know, I, I, here I but am see, talking you can, about you can, that. You can have a show that can be great for a long time, you know, when yeah. you're running an organization. Exactly. You know, well, you kinda, yeah, kinda, yeah, you're not going to out because he's been there for so long. Exactly. But, but know, ask, not that I'm Billy Dell, but... Let me ask you a question. Do you know the whereabouts or what has become of Jerry Brock? You do? And I, I ran into Jerry Brock uh, mid-September. Uh, and I had heard from really? him before. Yeah. Jerry is... And can you explain who Jerry is and, and his brother? And <laughs> uh, Jerry and Walter Brock are the guys who started WWOC. Um, they're originally from somewhere in Texas. Uh, and Jerry and Walter uh, started... OZ in 1980, um, they had been working for, working in Texas for the guy, a gentleman by the name of Lorenzo Milam, who is the guy who started community radio across the country and wrote the book on how to do it called Sex and Broadcasting, which is a great title for the book. It is a great title for the book. And Sex and Broadcasting is a fantastic book. It's funny. And not only does it tell you the philosophical Things about how you know why community radio is important, but it actually tells you the nuts and bolts of how to deal with, you know, the FCC and how to set up your foundations and stuff. So how do you fundraise? Yeah, how, how do you, you fundraise? All the nuts, right. the nuts and bolts. And and uh, Milan was originally going to call it, you know, how to start a radio station, but his mom said, "You're never going to sell seven copies if you do it like that." So he called it Sex and Broadcasting. <laughs> there's there's <laughs> very little of any sex in it. The mom uh, suggested that. The mom that, suggested. Right. Uh, anyway, so what I think happened is that uh, Milam, Lorenzo Milam is a, is a character and, and occasionally a difficult man from what I understood. Uh, and I think, you know, he got, the Brock's got an argument with him and I think he said to him, you know, like the way I'm doing it, go start your own motherfucking station. And the Brock's went, okay. And they thought about it and moved to New Orleans and saw that there was a, certainly a need for, especially in the late 70s, where it was, you know, disco and new wave, and what was, you know, what New Orleans music was, and I, I like disco and new wave. So no, I dig it, but so much good stuff came out of the reaction to that music. Yeah, to, to the reaction to that right. music, and that, you know, you know, Ernie Cato was running a shoe shine stand at that point. That's right. That's right. You know, yeah. none of these guys were really working, and there was no, they weren't getting their music played. So they decided to start a radio station and got, you know, to benefits. And so these are the guys who started kind of the radio station. They literally, you know, they found out they got the, the transmitter was somewhere on the levee in, I want to say in like Bridge City or something. And they literally found out that they got the license and had to start broadcasting within 24 hours. 
So they literally had a reel-to-reel -reel tape connected to it and would run reel-to-reel -reel tapes out to Bridge City and switch them out every four hours. Holy shit. To start the station before Holy they had a place shit. to do it. So yeah, the, uh, yeah, Like in the little hut? Yeah, beneath, in the little kind of hut. In the little hut beneath the antenna. Yeah, that kind of thing for the beginning. Jesus Be Christ. Before they, then they moved to, you know, above Tipitino's, where they used to, like, drop the microphones down through holes in the ceiling to, yes, you know, yes. do the broadcast and stick it out the window, and, and everybody would come by. Uh, so, yeah, that, and then Jerry went on from that to start, Walter moved, I don't remember where Walter moved. I've seen, I haven't seen Walter in a while, but Jerry then kind of, they, they kind of moved the station under the auspices of the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Uh, Jerry moved on to start the Louisiana Music Factory and then ran that until he and Barry Smith did it and he left that, I don't know, sometime in the early 2000s maybe? Yeah. Um, and then kind of, you know, dropped off the map as occasionally people do. Sure. Uh, and then he was in, he was living with Rick Coleman in, on the North Shore. I want to say now he's back living here uh, and um, somewhere in Carrollton, actually, that's that's right. Because he, oh, okay. he is doing. Jerry does amazing amounts of research. Of you know, he like, he told me he went through the entire minutes of the city council meetings from the 1700s on, like that are in French kind of thing. Uh, and he's doing most of his research on the Carrollton section, which is an interesting from interesting spot, just because a lot of the. Um, to what end is he? Um, for you know, hanging out and for, not for hanging out, but just you know, just to add to the you know writing. I think he's trying to write a book, but like a lot of you know, Carrollton's were you know was a kind of independent. It was his own city. It was right for right. a while. That's right. Um, and it was it had I think I want to say it had a black mayor and a lot of the. But I want I want to my years may be right, but I want to say the the black veterans of the Civil War or the Spanish American War all moved there. Um, and, uh, you know, so it was very, it was a very kind of, you know, black power before there was such a thing known as black power, but sure. a very pro-black and blacks running things for a while in there. And all sorts of musicians, you know, came up in there and it's, it, it, you know, as Everett Maddox says, you know, later, you know, it's kind of like the New Orleans Mamartre where it's, you know, the, the artists all hang out for a while in Carrollton. And right. I saw him do a lecture, a terrific lecture about Mahalia Jackson because she came up close to there and stuff in the church. You know, remember where... Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Remember where Butler's was? Yes. Yep. Remember the church across right. the street? Yes, that was, that was it. was church. Yeah. Right. Um, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anytime we'd stumble out of there, like, oh, yeah, there's... You know. yeah, there's at some point, we'd stumble out of there, we almost wait 40 minutes until we could go to church. <laughs> um, but yeah, Jer um, and I saw him. He seems well. As far as I could tell, he seems together and stuff. Oh, good. So, good. You know, I right. saw him at uh, Larry Boudreaux's funeral. In September, so. All right, yeah. all right. Well, there you go. That that's, answers that's that question. That's the story right? on, on Jerry. So. Cool, cool. So, so what do you think in general about the future of New Orleans music? If you look at uh, kind of sort of the club scene that's going on now, for me, I, I I have a lot of concerns myself about the way things are going, and some there are not necessarily in terms of jazz because I think that that there's a scholastic element to playing jazz at a high level that is institutionally very sound in New Orleans. Right. But when you talk about some of the other forms of music in the city, um, there, there's 
there's a there's well, the a lot, there's a lot of changes going on. Change can be good. Change can be bad. Are we entering an era where things are declining, or where, where do where do you see things uh, going from here? Uh, as I said, I think jazz is pretty. St- and this, I'm, as I say this, I'm looking at this artistically. I'm not a musician, so I don't know when musicians play, how the pay is, and how all of that is. So I don't know economically how it's working out. Um, as far as I can tell, and I do get out less than I used to, but as I perceive it, um, New Orleans is becoming much more known these days for hip-hop and rap, which I think is a good thing. Um, I think the you know, bounce and you know, big, you know, big Frida becoming you know, Big Frida is... A, is you know, a side of great things to come. Yeah. Big, free, big free to rocks the house. Okay, and there are other rappers that don't, hip hop people I don't necessarily know, but I know, you know, that as I hear stuff on the streets or as I hear stuff coming out of people's cars, I'm like, people this is great up. stuff. Yeah. yeah, people are blown up, you know, and there's still, there's still that culture and there's still that music coming out that's developing and yet still, you know, bounce music, which I think is, fun, you know, great stuff. Um, I think the brass band, uh, is good both on people playing kind of, you know, certainly the, you know, the new brass band stuff, there's lots of new bands coming out, you know, they're sounding great. And the second lines I've been to, uh, I haven't been out to, you know, see them in clubs, but, you know, I know the Rebirth is still, you know, doing the thing and there's still a bunch of stuff along St. Bernard. Um, so I think the brass band from modern brass band is good. Um, traditional brass. The Stooges seem to have kind yeah, of the like Stooges, the Stooges. assumed a certain mantle. Yeah. The, Sto- the, the Stooges have now reached the level that the Hot Eight, the Dirty Dozen, the Rebirth, the Soul Rebels have all you know made it to. Sure. Uh, and I want to say the TBC is on that on that level too. The TBC the, might be my favorite brass band yeah. right now. They're yeah. they're all lo- they're all sounding great and and you know doing their thing. Um, uh, and surprisingly enough, indie rock is whatever you know what. Is the other thing that is coming out of here um, that I think, you know, I don't hear anything incredibly new and different in most of it. Um, though, you know, there are bands they're doing that are great, you know, but it, there's nothing to distinguish the indie rock here from the indie rock in Chicago mm. or the indie rock in Seattle. Sure. Mm. Okay. Um, and I think the indie rock being successful comes at the expense of the fact that we are witnessing the death of New Orleans rhythm and blues that the stuff that Alan Toussaint wrote, right. that all of the classic Bobby Mitchell, Ernie sure. Cato, Lee Dorsey, right. exactly. all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, Earl King. Earl King. Nobody, there are very few young people coming up and playing it. I'm not quite sure why. Um, because it is a, it's a viable music and you learn how to play that. You, you know, you're not going to move to Beverly Hills on it. You're all, you will always have work. Yeah. People are always going to want to hear Fortune Teller. Sure. People are always going to want, in this town, always going to want to hear that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't see young folks coming up and playing it. Nor, uh, nor even a kind of uh, mixture of new sounds with right. the rhythm and blues thing, which you kind of see a, a fusion of those elements in yeah. some of the really popular bands that are out there these days. I mean, totally. look, even... You know, it was like Paul Grass said this when Egg Yolk was on the other day. Um, <clears throat> it's it's weird to talk about my own band in the third person, but it's uh, he, you know, he's like, look, you know, every rock band has a sousaphone player now. 
He's right. like, egg yolk jubilee. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, that's 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 true. Um, but if you're going to have horns, you know, certainly, if you got horn players, someone's interested in rhythm and blues. Yeah. It's either jazz or rhythm and blues, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't really see anybody really carrying the torch of that tradition. Uh, I mean, the only per I'm trying to think, there are a couple bands of people who are kind of doing it, um, you know, and the guy, you know, Davis Rogan, you know, is the guy really who's, put, you know, the only person, one of the few people I know who's, you know, playing that music and making new music in that vein that sounds, you know, that is in the vein of Huey Piano Smith and Alan Toussaint, rhythm and blues with a certain kind of sense of humor in New Orleans, you know, kind of, you know, sensitivity to it. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I don't like the fact that I can't do much about it, but... Um, you know, it is, you know, it's dying in a certain way and I hope it doesn't die because the music's always going to be there, but people playing it live, which is the essence of what we like around here and what makes the New Orleans different from any other place is, you know, people, real people playing real instruments. Yeah, this is the thing that I... You don't see that in East very rarely in other places. That's true. And I think, and that's clearly very much still alive, you know, I mean, in so many different ways, you know, gospel to rock and roll and whatever the case may be. <laughs> but in, in terms of the uh, rhythm and blues thing, I, I, I think about that a lot. And when I start to think about what if, uh, what's the possibility of forming a band in, in that vein, I, I immediately start thinking, who can I get to sing? And, and that is something that I don't yeah. think gets talked about enough is where where have our singers gone in in New Orleans? There are there are singers. There are I think a lot of good singers it's still in town, but where are none of them are singing that kind of music? Right. Um, and um and you know and there are still don't get and I'm just saying there are young people coming up playing it. You know there's still you know you can still go see Walter Wolfman Washington every Wednesday night at DBA. Um, and you should go see Walter Wolfman Damn every night straight, because sure. Walter sure. Wolfman Washington is a national treasure. He, hey, I'm, I'm sure you heard also that Ben Elman is producing the CD that's coming I out. Have, I have I have heard some of those. Tracks. I heard this the other day. You've heard there, some of the tracks already. Like, really? I, I was in I was in the studio the other day while they were doing. Is that it. right? Holy shit! I heard. Oh, it's, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be incredible. Dude. I was I, Dude, I, 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 I don't want to I want to talk about what I heard. We need it so much. We need that so much. And it's and it's not. It's it's Walter in a very you know with a, like a trio doing more jazzy but it's still yes. R and B. It's intimate. Yeah, it's it, it's it's the crossover you know between like fifties you know there's a little bit of jazz there's a little bit of R and B in it but Walter is singing his ass off. Walter is a guy crazy. who for people who don't know Walter Wolfman Washington has been around for many years. He's I, I'm guessing he's seventy two yeah, now something he, in that age range. Yeah, he's over seventy. Um, Walt, Walter's uh, uh, ubiquitous. You can go, uh, he lives here in Mid-City. You can go around Mid-City and at some point you're going to run. walking down you, the street. You, yeah, exactly. You're, and you can see him at a lot of different venues. Lifetime gigger. And uh, he has a killer uh, funk band uh, that's, that's inspired by a lot of, of, of different uh, yeah, things. Killer, you know, John, Johnny, Johnny Guitar Watson. Johnny Watson, Johnny Adams. Yeah, exactly. Sings. And it's, but nobody... You know, when all these people, when, and nothing against folks like Lee Fields or um, Charles Bradley, who are brilliant, okay? But Walter, 
it's that that's how, Walter's better than those guys. You know, and, and, and you just don't know because, you know, he's, he's, an a, he's a New Orleans cat who doesn't get too far. And he's he an amazing $500 a night or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Right. What the economics is, like you were saying. Yeah. But I remember like one story where I can't remember. I heard it secondhand. But Walter was just saying, not in a, in a dispirited way, but just telling the story. He's like, yeah, I go over to the jazz festivals in Europe and I get in a cab and, you know, Barcelona and the cab driver recognizes me. You know, I get in a United cab in New Orleans, and I'm just another dude. Right. Yeah, they're in my whole town, yeah. right? And he, he's one of these guys too that has like this back, this amazing backstory because, you know, he probably played. I don't know if he played with Willie T or some of those guys, but everybody. he was he played with everybody. Yeah, he played on a lot of records. You hear guitar, you don't know you're listening to Walter Wolfman Washington. Back in the day, he still plays now. He's an amazing guitar player, super smooth, super great, and. Um, so he's making this record now, uh, it's, I, which is very intimate, kind of similar to Danny Barker's record, I guess, yeah. maybe. And um, I guess it's going to drop in the next month or something like that, next two months, three, something that, like that. Yeah, within the next couple of months. God, folks, if you, if you, if yeah. you want to do I, yourself a favor. I've heard some of it, and it is, you know, yeah. song selection is great, and delivery is excellent, and... You know, I, great musicians besides Walter on it. Who I'm not going to say at the moment because I don't know who's going to how it's going to be mixed and all that. But um, the so, other the other thing of talking about music in New Orleans these days is is the funk scene. Um, and the the funk scene when we were coming up, when you were starting Egg Yolk and stuff, there was a great funk scene in this town. Yeah. And there always is, com and comparatively, there is still a great funk scene in this town. I have a feeling we're going to start talking about Benny's at some point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Benny's and, and you know, that kind of thing. Um, but the funk scene now seems to be, it just, I'm not hearing anything particularly creative. You know, it's all, it's all kind of, Jamming on one chord, switch somebody else solos on one chord, kind of thing. Right. Um, and that you know, and and the, all the good funk that has come out of this town up until, you know, the the, the storm. Let's put it at that. Um, has not been any of that. You know, whether it's you guys being kind of gonzo rock and roll funky, um, whether <coughs> it's galactic going all over the map, um, whether mm. it's you know the meters. Sure. Being the meters, you know, right. all sorts of places. The Neville's putting the harmonies to it. Um, whether it's you know the you know the Uptown All Stars or the Caesar Brothers doing that kind of Thirteenth Ward thing, um, that's all you know. That's real music and real songs. And the, I don't in, the Indian bands, that. the Indian and then, bands, and then the, and then you know yeah the Indian band, the Indian funk bands, the Wild Magnolias and and the Golden Eagles and everything Monk and Bo did. Right. Um, that moves places. Uh, and isn't just excuses for people, you know, playing solos. Um, so I wish the funk thing, you know, would would move would you know develop a little bit out of that. I'm not quite sure how to do it, you know, and what I can do about it, or you know. And if that's what the kids want, that's what they're going to play. So. I, I think the singing is the key, and and not the instrumental hmm. part of it. I re I really do. I mean, that's the thing that I I think about when I listen to a lot of the old. R&B records. I mean, for, there's so many things that you can say about New Orleans. About we can talk about how many amazing drummers came out of New Orleans all day long, right? Or yeah. Palmer, James Black, right? Yeah. We, uh, you can go on and on about that. We can talk about how many great horn players. We can talk about great 
guitarists yeah. in, in New Orleans. New Orleans produced amazing singers as well. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like right now, off the top of my head, coming up in the scene, I, I just, I can't name very many, you know, I don't, I just don't know. I can know name a few, I can many. name many who are playing R&B or funk. Right. Um, you know, I'm a huge, you know, Robin Barnes is killer, uh, Mashia Lake is killer, um, I'll leave names out of, of folks that know, um, Erica Falls is fantastic. Um, so there are some, but, you know, are there others coming up? You know, is there another Irma Thomas? And you know, is there the another Johnny Adams? Is there another Johnny Adams? Is there? Yeah. You know, there's also you know, because I don't buy whole, that. Not a whole lot of male singers too. Right, right. You know, not a lot of male. You know, I mean, sing- don't get me wrong. Right. Exactly. You know, you know, you know, Johnny Adams. You know, John Butte is the best jazz singer in the world. Where's your Devell Crawford coming up? Yeah. Where, where's your right. next Devell Crawford or right. Sugar Boy Crawford right. for that matter coming up? Yeah. You know? That's uh, that's. Yeah, what do you think the void is? I mean, what do you think it's? Is it? I mean, where where? I think it's some of the things that we just talked about now because the popular forms of music are, uh, you know, the bounce bounce and hip hop is a different voc clearly very different vocal stylings there. People aren't training themselves to sing necessarily yeah. um, in that in that idiom. Mm-hmm. And then in the funk thing, you have a kind of uh, jam band festival driven. Uh, idea of what a band should be in order to launch itself out of New Orleans and go yeah. and play on that circuit and you have a, a style of music that's quite different than the funk that originated here that is heavy on uh, on instrumental prowess yeah. and and not on the things that made that music uh, necessarily great in the in the first place a lot of which included great singing you know, yeah. it's it's not like the meters as a total are ama- they're amazing musicians and amazing band. You hardly hear anybody talk about what a great singer art. No, is. Art Neville, Art, yeah, and the meters had amazing, great singing and amazing, Art's an amazing vocalist, amazing vocalist. You know, Cyril when he came in, yeah, amazing, still an sure. amazing vocalist, exactly. And you know, <clears throat> and George at that point was a good vocalist, not a great one. George's vocals now are George is an amazing vocalist these days. I really think his, his singing has was good before, but now I've heard him articulate emotions and, and sing in a way that you know that you can only do when you get old enough and you know you work at it. Sure, sure. You know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. He, and, he and does I, work at it. I don't believe I, I just don't buy this thing that that you know. Well, it's also, like, well, saying, well also, there'll never be another as we're saying, as Indian Johnny Rock Adams comes or up, there another, has to be. As Indian Rock comes up, there will be somebody who valued. Can. In, for that kind of genre in the same way either. They're not. Because someone's right, going to exactly. come up in this community yeah. right. and suddenly blow the doors off. Yeah. Because there is this vacuum to be filled, right? Yeah. Somebody's going to come up and really say. I mean, what's Noka doing? Is Noka doing mostly jazz? Noka, I, of... I think, is doing mostly jazz. Um, and I want to say there are vocalists coming out of mm-hmm. Noka, but I can't think of any who, you know, yeah. recently you have. Um, but then again, I would I'm, love, not, I'm not out in the same way I used to be. So I would love to see a fresh young band do a new take on on New Orleans rhythm and blues Fuck stuff right, with a man. with a with a lead singer who can just kill it. Yeah, exactly. That, that would that would just you know I would I would spend five months going to see that yeah. band you know as many times as I could. Yeah. So you got anything else, Joel? Well, I think we should touch on, I mean... I, Did you want to talk about documentaries and stuff? You had said that. That's exactly let's what get, I want to segue to. Because one of the things that uh, I admired about you back in the, I guess, late 90s, early aughts, 
was that you were putting out these, I've heard it termed radio documentaries. Is that yeah, how you that, refer that, it to? Yeah, I think so. There's a really nice article uh, about you, an advocate, that uh, Allison fin- Finsterstock yeah, wrote. Yeah, Allison wrote a really nice article about And she touches on, on yeah. your history with that. And, and I, in fact, still have, I don't know if you remember, but you gave me like the James Booker and you gave me the Did I give, you, did I give you the complete King. set? You gave me the complete set of James okay. Booker and the complete set I gotta of get you some more. Earl King. Okay. I don't have the complete set or any of remind, the... Remind me and I'll get the you. True the Drop In. The Dew Drop and Guitar Slim and James Black and Kenner and Maddox and... Shit. Yeah. See, I didn't even yeah. know about all Yeah, there's, there's, there's you know, a few more um, at this point. The I mean, Freilich. You, were, you gotta hear the Freilich. There's a Freilich? There's a Freilich. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that because you were... This was before podcast mm-hmm. this was like i almost think like i'm looking at these four cds in my album booklet of the james booker speaking of great r&b yeah. vocalist um and i'm thinking the serial podcasts that are going on now you know what i mean i'm not mm-hmm. hip to that yeah it's like god you were born to fucking do that david Kenyon. <laughs> like, <laughs> you did it you did it 15 years before they started doing uh, yeah. it right ahead of my um, time i suppose way ahead of your fucking time and I mean, I assume you had to get some funding for it, right? There, well, to some degree, like through the that, radio station. Bef- or... Before, you know, the recession, before Bobby Jindal came in, um, the arts funding for the state and the, for, the, for the Division of the Arts, for grants, and also for the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities, um, was, amazingly enough, per capita was like third in the country. Um, which, which isn't a whole, you know, isn't a, is, is not a huge pot of money. You know, I want to say the guy, um, I remember there was a guy back in the early nineties who, um, uh, was kind of a Hunter S. Thompson-esque lobbyist. I cannot remember his name. Uh, but he was an, he was an oil lobbyist for a while. And then I think, you know, he, you know, the acid hit him right one night. And he was like, what am I doing? You know, saw that I got to use my skills I'm sorry, for I'm good. I'm my skills for something else. And yeah. the arts... Uh, the Arts Council hired him to be their lobbyist, and he knew, you know, you know, he knew everybody. He knew so the what money. he got yeah. the legislature to do is to pledge a dollar of arts funding and humanities funding for every person in Louisiana, which is which is a million and a half dollars. It's nothing really, but it's per capita more than anybody else was getting. Sure. Um, and in the course of that. Um, that, that's when there was lots of arts funding for, you know, that's when we got all sorts of public art. That's when the CAC was getting more grant, local grants and yep. stuff. And don't give me, and again, it, it jived with the fact that it was cheap to live here, so you could do that. Um, so I started figuring out, I was, you know, I trained at OZ to be a radio producer, and after that said, well, I better produce some radio. How am I going to do this? Um, and I started going to get grants from the state, the local arts council, and Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities um, doing radio, uh, which took them a little while, but not as long as you would think, um, to actually f- think that this was a legitimate way to, to, this was a legitimate arts or humanities kind of thing. Sure. Um, but once they did, I started getting enough money to fund these documentaries and pay myself a little bit so that I could do that, you know, live in a $250 a month house and cater. <laughs> You know, and throw newspapers and whatever you know, whatever else we all had to do back in those days. Hustle, hustle to do the hustle, um, 
and pulled together these radio documentaries. So how long would you spend on, like, uh, let's say it's just the James Booker doc? It's like six um, the James, the, James, the so, James Booker one, I think, was two and a half years. But that's because wow. yeah. it was the first one. Yeah. They generally, from conceiving to grants to producing to distributing and stuff, they were all about two years or so. Yeah. Um, and they started out being two hours a piece, and then I realized that that was just you know too much for me to try and pull off. So they, a lot of them went down to an hour. Um, the the Dew Drops an hour, James Black is an hour, Guitar Slim's an hour, Freylex an hour, um, and some of them depending on the amount of money I get, because some of them I, I would get I I worked it so I was getting money from the LEH for the big ones, and then smaller amounts of money from the Arts Council for the small ones. So the smaller ones of Chris Kenner, the Mardi Gras songs profiles that I did one year, um, I did you know, 10, oh, radio, 10 radio pieces on. Oh, I'd love to hear best. that. Yeah, oh, yeah they're, 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 that's they're great. great. Yeah, they're talk, talking to like George Porter Jr. about what it was like recording Indian Red, the Wild Chapatulas, and, and um, you know, Earl King and Wardell Kazare talking about Big Chief. Uh, yeah, they're really... Can we find know. any of this stuff online? Um, some of the docu... Um, I don't know. You can, know we, can, can, can I write a, ask someone for money to make it happen? <laughs> uh, well, I think a lot of them are on, Sinc on John Sinclair's Radio Free Amsterdam. Oh, is that right? Yeah. If you search my name on Radio Free Amsterdam, I think a bunch of them are on there. Um, and I want to say that's the only place they are. But, you know, so there were shorter ones on Maddox, Michael Ward. Yeah. One of my favorite ones on Michael Ward, the Coca oh, wow. player. Oh, my God. Yeah, that... that I got to get y'all that because for those of us who are who were around in those days, that is the one I, because that brings back those days better than anyone oh, I've ever done. Man. Like, what was the mid '90s like in this town? Yeah, you know, running around, you know, being crazy, you know, to the Maple Leaf, the Snakes, to everything. Hey, I hey was, you, you remember uh, Dave Renson, the guitar player who played with J.D. Hill and the Jammers? Yeah, kind of. He was kind of like the Benny Staple White yeah. guitar player. Yeah, he plays gigs over at uh, Bank Street Bar. Now with a band called uh, Major Bacon. I've always wanted to on, go to see Major Bacon on Wednesday yeah. nights. I, I I just gotta throw that in every time we're we're talking about it. Yeah. Because um, anyway, so I you know so I'd be working was, the small yeah. ones and the big ones kind yeah. of at the same time, uh, and then you know when the recession came and and you know Bobby Jindal saw that as an excuse to cut anything that didn't you know. You know, arts arts funding. Come on, yeah. Mental so, health beds. Mental health. I mean, uh, we could go on. We could yeah. go on. You know, you could do Jesus. an entire you everything. Know, po you know, podcast sure. on you know that horrible man. Uh, but yeah, so you know, I, that's and that's in a way how, you know, I I think that led to where I am now in terms of the curator stuff because I'd sp you know like I said I'd spend you know a year calling up all of these folks and trying to figure out okay you know sitting down with. Cosmo Matassa, sitting down with Deacon John, sitting down with all sorts of crazy folks who might, you know, know a little bit about Guitar Slim. Right. You know, like, you know, the time I found the guy, Carol Fran knew Guitar Slim, and Carol Fran, Carol Fran tells me that Guitar Slim's Rodian valet runs the B Azalea Bingo Hall in West Wego. And I go talk to this guy at the Azalea Bingo Hall in West Wego, on, right off the West Bank Expressway. Um, and this guy tells me that, you know, Guitar Slim died in his arms. He was dragging, you know, down the stairs. Guitar Slim died right then. Jeez. Like, you know, and the, and the whole, oh my you God. know, the, the, the best, the, one of the two best interviews I ever did, um, talking to Joelle Neville, Aaron's, you know, late wife, uh, about James Booker, who 
first of all, Joelle was a total sweetheart. She like grew up, they both grew up, and but Joelle like remi remembers having Spanish class with James Booker, you know, in like 10th grade or something like that. She knew him, and then she married Aaron and knew him still. Um, Joelle tells me the story of how she, when Booker died in 83, she was a nurse at Charity Hospital, okay? And she would always walk through the emergency room to go to lunch. Uh, and Booker, for those of you who don't know, um, you know, the story is he did way too much cocaine one night, as he might have been wont to do, and finally he just kind of, you know, passed out, and it all, you know, all his organs started going. Uh, and they took him, he took a cab to Charity, mm -hmm. and he passed out in a wheelchair, and a guy saw him in the wheelchair with the eye patch and moved him from seeing the kind of stomach or lung or kidney doctor into the eye doctor. Oh, and he literally Christ. died in, you know, the waiting room of charity. And Joel says, every, every day I went out for lunch to the emergency room, I would have seen him. I would have been able to save him. I would have, we would, and I'm going, and Joel is just kind of telling this to me rather matter-of-factly. I'm going, I'm looking at her going, Jesus, Joel, I'm really sorry. That's horrible. I'm really sorry. And she, that's the way God planned it. And this is now 10 years after when I talked to her, so she probably had come to terms with it. But that's one of those stories, you know. People have heard this before on the podcast, but uh, I hate repeating it because I'm not proud of this moment, but I did blow with Michael Ward about three hours before he passed. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. I had snake and jigs. Yeah. He, you know what? He was going, uh, from what Daryl says... He's like he 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 was on his way out, that, you know. Yeah, and I, and I. But the spirit, he just had such an incredible yeah. spirit. I know it, it, the just, way you did with Michael Ward. You had no idea it's what you did with Michael Ward back yeah. then. You know, you did blow with Michael Ward. Yeah. Know? I mean, could have been me. I mean, sure. <laughs> so, folks, we're going to try to uh, see if we can find some of the links to some of these radio documentaries. These things are amazing. If you really want to get. Uh, a great perspective on the mostly rhythm and blues culture and funk culture. Um, and the Maple Leaf. There's uh, and, a lot of the Maple Leaf. And, and <laughs> the Maple Leaf. Uh, in there. Uh, uh, we're we're going to try and find some of these links and, and give them to you. And uh, David, I know you got to go. So I just want to thank you for coming on the show, man. That was great. Well, you know, we, I mean, you know, y'all do a few more. Invite me back, and we'll talk more about other yeah, right. we'll we'll crazy do. shit. Because look, we, we didn't know. even get into Mardi Gras Indians. We got. No, no, we didn't even get into Mardi Gras Indians. So maybe Indians. we'll have you come back around Carnival. I didn't tell time. you the Ray Charles interview story. You know, that, there's all sorts of. All right, you know. so maybe come back uh, early 2017, or we yeah. talk some Carnival, some Ray Charles, and oh yeah, we can yeah we can talk some fun Carnival stuff. Yeah, we gotta get into that. Yeah, I can talk some fun Carnival stuff. All right, man, it's such a pleasure. Well, thank you all for having me. I appreciate yeah. that. You know, y'all do a good you. thing. You know, keep it hey, up. Good luck with uh, getting the museum ready. Thank and, you. And uh, we'll continue to listen to your show on uh, org Tuesday night, Kitchen Sink, 10 p.m. to midnight. Never uh, know what you'll hear. Check out the work that he's doing at nolajazzmuseum.org. Uh, we'll put up links for the documentaries, the Sweet. Do Drop In, James Booker, Earl King, etc., and follow... Dave Cunion at Jazz Lunatic. That's Jazz L U N A T I Q U E. Jazz Lunatic on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, check him out. It's yeah. Fun stuff. Sweet. All right, folks. Thank we'll you catch you next time on It's a Good Life Babe podcast. Jeff and Joel's Tales from New Orleans. See you then. <laughs>